Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, good morning, guys. We are in Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 50 today. If you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn there, and as you do that, let me review from last Sunday. Last week, we learned about the importance of humility, and we learned this vital lesson from the 12 disciples who argued with one another about who was the greatest disciple. And we watch the Lord Jesus provide an illustration here, not only for the 12, but also for us. He took a child, he honored him in front of everyone. And the ironic thing there is that the 12, they wanted that particular honor. Um, The Lord gave it to a child. And we see throughout the Gospels how Jesus, he he turns the values of mankind upside down. We talked last week about if Jesus says, if you want to live, you have to die. If you want to be perfect, go sell everything that you have, give it to the poor. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. If you want to be great, you have to suffer. If you want to be first, you have to choose to be last and servant of all. Some of the key points from last week were, number one, there is never unity among proud people. Number two, leadership is serving people, it's it's not using people. And thirdly, if we don't choose humility in our life, God chooses humiliation. So all that is from from last week, and as we move into today's scripture passage, Jesus really presses into the actual cost of our pride here. Uh, And let me just give everybody a disclaimer. Today's sermon is heavy. Today's sermon's weighty. There's a seriousness to today. He teaches us about hell. He teaches us about a very real place that people go when they do not accept him as Lord and Savior. And he specifically instructs the the disciples about the consequences of pride. And according to Jesus, there is absolutely no room for a proud disciple. I mean, there's no reason for for sin to be, um, the, the sin of pride, to be in a child of God. I mean, think about it. What do we actually have to be proud of? I mean, have you actually thought about how fragile your life is? God designed you to breathe out of two tiny holes in your nose. And all it takes is for someone to take you out is this for about 60 seconds, and you're gone. Our life is so fragile, isn't it? And then not only that, but but the very air that we breathe. Have you thought about this? The very air that we breathe, it's not our air. It's the Lord's air. And and when is the last time we thanked him 
that we're breathing his air. We are creatures, and he is the creator. This is the kind of message that the Lord has for us today. So this passage, it teaches us three things. Number one, the terrifying lesson about pride. Number two, the consequences of causing others to sin with your pride. And number three, the necessity to do whatever it takes to sever sin out of your life. So dear friends, today is a doozy. You ready for a doozy? Are you? Okay. So how does this all impact us today? What does all of this mean for, for us today? Let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Our focus text today is verses 42 through 50. I'm going to back up to verse 30 so we have the full context of, of what the Lord is talking about here. Because all of this is in the, in the same context. So Mark chapter 9, verse 30 and following. Then they left that place and made their way through Galilee, but he did not want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement and they were afraid to ask. And they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, because on the way they had been arguing with one another about who's the greatest. So sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. And he took a child, had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. And John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Well, don't stop him, Jesus said, because there's no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, well, truly, I, I tell you, he will never lose his reward. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to fall away, we'll cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to fall away, well, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. And salt is good, but if that salt loses its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. And these are the very words from God for us this morning. <clears throat> 
Please pray with me. So, Father in heaven, it is, it is a joy to be here with our church family as we get to open up your word. Today is a doozy, and I pray, Lord God, that you soften our hearts and sharpen our minds for uh, this message that you have prepared for us to hear. Lord, teach us the deep things of God. Teach us um, how your ways are so much higher than ours. Your thoughts, they are so much higher than ours. So, Lord, as we open up your text now, please teach us these things, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. So let's take a deeper look here at verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Wow. That's quite the verse to start off this morning. The sense in this verse is that someone intentionally is leading someone else who's a new believer or or someone who's a weak believer into sin. So Jesus automatically judges this person as guilty for doing that. Jesus says, how dare you teach someone that's new in the faith, someone who's weak in the faith, um, lead them away from my truth. Don't do that. Stop doing that. Jesus uses the analogy of a millstone. So what is a millstone? What's Jesus talking about here? A millstone is a heavy stone used to grind grain. In the first century, grinding grain, huge part of many people's lives, their livelihood. And to do that, they used two very large stones. You can see that base stone on your screen there. That remained stationary. And then there was a second stone on top of the base stone. It was called the runner stone. And that runner stone was mounted so that it could, it could move and it could pivot on the base stone. That runner stone has a hole in the middle of it. It's got a large piece of wood that they would attach to the center of that stone. And then on the other end, they would attach it to that donkey that you see there. The donkey would then walk in a circle and grind the grain. And the grain was crushed between the two stones and they would eventually take the grain and make flour with it. These millstones are enormous. They are extremely heavy, weighing up to several tons. Uh, Some of them were were six feet or more in diameter, and that's why Jesus uses this illustration, because everybody in the first century knows what happens when someone forces your head through that tiny hole and then heaves you into the sea. That's not a good day. Wearing a millstone around your neck like a collar is not a good day. So this is a picture of judgment on sin. And we see this imagery in the book of Revelation as well. Let me show you this. Revelation chapter 18, verse 21. Then a mighty angel picked up a stone like a large millstone, and he threw it into the sea, saying, in this way, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down violently and never be found again. So Babylon is judged here. She is found guilty, and a millstone was chosen as the means to carry out this judgment. Now, this is not just a hyperbolic story that Jesus is is 
telling the 12 disciples here. Around this time, most of Israel was familiar with a man named Judas the Galilean, not Judas, the, Judas Iscariot, that, that's someone different. Uh, Judas the Galilean, he was a zealot. He was the talk of a town for a short time. He would have been on the front page of the newspapers. He would have dominated social media. Why is that? Well, his zeal for God. Zeal. He was a zealot. He had an excessive devotion to God, but he didn't care too much for the Roman government or, or human authorities. The zealots, they eventually became their own political party. Uh, Jesus had a zealot as one of his disciples, Simon, Simon the zealot. But regardless, Judas the Galilean, he tried to overthrow Caesar Augustus, and he failed. So the Romans, who obviously, they don't even stand for a rumor of a coup, they drowned him in a lake. So all that to say, Jesus' imagery here is very fresh, it's timely, it's very vivid. And the 12 could easily picture a body lying at the bottom of the sea with this huge millstone around his neck. So the question is, why does Jesus use such a graphic illustration? Well, he wanted to make it crystal clear that it is better to die a horrific death than to cause believers, these little ones, to fall into sin. Wow. Now, why is Jesus giving this warning? Well, last week we saw how the 12 disciples, they were arguing over position and power, and they were trying to assert their own authority. They were trying to control things. Remember the exorcist who was not a part of their apostolic club? They tell him to stop. So back to verse 42, Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones, so that's the exorcist, to believe in me, to fall away. So evidently, the 12 were incredibly close to this. To make this man stumble somehow, to make this guy uh, fall into sin. And Jesus is giving them the reality of what will take place if they don't stop. So verse 43, Jesus continues here. He says, if your hand causes you to fall away, we'll cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go into hell, the unquenchable fire. So Jesus doesn't let up here. He reveals the consequences if they don't stop. So Jesus gives another vivid, another violent illustration. Really, this is a picture of radical spiritual surgery. Because these images, they are shocking to the 12. Verses 43 through 47 are hyperbole. Because both masochism, mutilation of the human body, they didn't allow that in Judaism. Unlike the Greeks, uh, the Greeks despised their physical bodies. The Jews did not. They placed a high value on their body. So Jesus, he's exaggerating here to make a point. But just because he's exaggerating here by cutting off body parts, please don't miss the illustration. The illustration is very serious. It doesn't lessen the importance of what Jesus is saying. So key point number one for us. Jesus uses hyperbole to emphasize the violent rejection of temptation that's needed to overcome sin. Jesus uses hyperbole to emphasize the violent the rejection 
of temptation that is in our life so that we can overcome sin. Once again, Jesus is not encouraging masochism or mutilation here. There are some Christians that have taken these verses literally. They've tried to mutilate themselves into obedience. Didn't work out so well. Um, One of our church fathers, Origen of Alexandria, this guy was a brilliant man. Brilliant. But boy, did he miss this one. He he castrated himself thinking that 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 was going to help him with his sin of lust problem with origin is that it didn't deal with the real problem. So what's the real problem? Well, verse 43, Jesus says, if your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. We could say, cut it out, knock it off, stop it. See, the hand is symbolic of the things that we do because your hand does not act independently of your will. So for example, let's say you have a propensity to steal. And yet Jesus says, cut it off, knock it off, stop it. He's talking about radical spiritual surgery. Once again, he's not talking about physical mutilation here. So Jesus, he demands a prompt, decisive act of your will to stop stealing. Cutting off your physical hand, it doesn't even deal with the problem, does it? Because the problems are hearts. I mean, you could cut your hand off but can't you still steal with your other hand? See, our hands don't control our hearts. Our our heart controls our hands. And this is the reason that this text is hyperbole. You can still sin with the other hand. So back to verse 43. Jesus says, it's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire. So in this context, hell is an earthly place called Gehenna. Gehenna was in the Valley of Hinnom. So let me get real geeky on you here. Stay with me for just about two minutes. In the Old Testament, the Valley of Hinnom was the site of where there was human sacrifices. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed to a a pagan god called Molech. These sacrifices, they occurred south of Jerusalem. It was a deep ravine. The ravine itself was called Gehenna. King Ahaz, King Manasseh, both sacrificed their children in this this valley. And because of those sacrifices, the valley itself became known as the place of the drum. Drums were beaten very loudly to drown out the screams of the babies that were being burned. King Josiah, he was a good king. He was a good man. He destroyed that place. He turned that place into Jerusalem's garbage dump. And the waste in that dump included the carcasses of animals and the corpses of criminals. To keep the dump from overflowing, the garbage had to be burned. So the fire was constantly fed by incoming garbage. So all that to say... It became a graphic illustration of an eternal hell. And the 12 disciples, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about here. Verse 44, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So if all of that wasn't graphic enough, we have verse 44. So while the fire was burning the garbage, worms stayed busy eating the carcasses that were dumped in Gehenna. 
So we see a picture of two types of torture here in this place called hell. First, you have the fire. It burns the carcasses from the outside. Secondly, the worms eat the carcasses from the inside. Verses 44 and 46, they all reiterate this point that comes from verse 48. Verse 48, you'll notice here, it's, it's in brackets and it's capitalized. Um, it's a quote from the prophet Isaiah, where the Lord uses him to speak of final judgment for those who don't repent. So Jesus is using a well-known metaphor here for the place of eternal punishment. Everybody knows what he's talking about. Now, depending on the translation that you have in your hands, you may not even have verses 44 and 46 in your Bible. And the reason for that is because the earliest manuscripts uh, don't have that repetition of verse 48. More than likely, the later manuscripts uh, ascribe inserted these verses to emphasize and repeat of the importance of what Jesus is saying here. So please note, God's word is is inerrant, it has the doctrine of, of preservation. Um, these verses don't take away, they don't contradict uh, the message itself. I just wanted you guys to know the reason why you may not have them in your Bible. Jesus continues here in verse 45. He says, if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. So the question becomes, now, wait a second, Jesus, how can a person's foot cause him to sin? Well, your foot is a symbol for going somewhere and going somewhere to sin. Your feet are symbolic of how you choose to live your life because your feet take you places. When it comes to sin, many of us have walked into places. Many of us have run into places to where we had no business being. We were there for the sole purpose of sinning. Verse 47, Jesus continues. He says, if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell. So we as human beings, we have this natural sinful bent. We have the, this tendency to use our eyes to lust. And I'm not just talking about sexual lust. I'm talking about lust for power, lust for money, possessions, comfort, security. Now, we could gouge one of our eyes out, but once again, can't we still sin with the other eye? And even if we were to gouge out both of our eyes, can't we still sin by what we've already seen? We, we all have that tape recorder in the back of our minds, right? We can pull those things up, those images up, uh, without seeing new images. So in other words, Jesus knows that we all consume things with our eyes, and if we meditate too long on these things, doesn't matter what category they fall into, they will eventually impact our heart to sin. There's no way around that. Brings us to key point number two for today. You become what you watch. You become what you watch. If you watch the news, you will become fearful. Anybody notice that over the past year? If you watch violent movies, 
you will become desensitized, angry, violent yourself, either in your thoughts, your words, or your actions. If you watch shows with sensuality, things that are highly sexual, you are entering into a state of perversion and you will become a pervert if you don't stop. In other words, you are what you eat. You will become what you watch. And this is where Jesus quotes Isaiah here in verse 48, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So Jesus is making a ghastly point here. He's saying, you know what? It's possible that you could mutilate yourself to the point to where you don't have any hands, your feet, or your eyes, and yet you can still be the most lustful, materialistic, perverted, and proud person in town. Because you haven't taken care of the real problem. Those are just band-aids. The real problem is your heart. Our hands, our feet, and our eyes encompass the totality of our lives. So our hands, once again, they symbolize what we do. Our feet symbolize where we go, and our eyes what we see. So Jesus' teaching here is scandalous. This is weighty. This is heavy. Don't miss this, guys. Verse 49, for everyone will be salted with fire. So verse 49, it only appears in the gospel of Mark. So this is a puzzling verse here. Many, many interpretations have been made. When you come to a verse like this and you're reading the Bible, make sure that you start with the context of the narrative itself. So over the past couple of weeks, we've been dealing with pride. We've been dealing with humility and discipleship. So it's inside that context to where we want to see what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus gives an analogy with salt. Um, throughout all of Scripture, salt also speaks of sacrifice. So the thought here is that every disciple of Jesus must be a willing sacrifice. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The Word of God says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So your bodies, your hands, your feet, your eyes, they are not to be used for evil, but for good. And as a disciple of Jesus, you are to be a living sacrifice. Now that, that kind of, that's strange, isn't it? That's weird. Because sacrifices are all dead. And this verse says we are to be a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul goes on. He says, don't be conformed. And so this is how you do this. This is how you become a living sacrifice. You do not be conformed to this age. You stop it. You cut it off. You knock it out. Don't be conformed. You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind by the reading of God's word, so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and perfect of God. So Paul is reiterating what Jesus just taught here. We are not to be conformed by the world. We are not to enjoy the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. If we do, we're going to fall into this thing of pride. We are to push back on all this. There is a renewing to our lives. There's a training to our lives as we read the word of God, cover to cover, over and over. 
And that's how we renew our minds. We get engaged with the local church. We serve. Doesn't matter where we're at, as long as it's a, a Bible-believing, Holy Spirit-filled, Christ-centered fellowship. We get around people who love the Lord, and we push back on the world. We are to call on the name of Jesus. We are to repent from these things that we've done, from our old lifestyle. Scripture says we are to believe that He is God. We are to believe that He died for us. He was buried. And he had the audacity to do what he said he was going to do. He walks out of his grave three days later. And he did that for the sole purpose to save you from your sins so you don't have to experience this place called hell. So even though the 12 are not going to experience this, this place called hell, nor anyone else who calls on the name of the Lord, we are still going to be salted with fire. So what's that mean? It means that there are times of testing that will push you beyond your human capacity to cope with anything. And that's where your faith comes in. Jesus continues here in verse 50. He says, salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. So Jesus continues his salt analogy here. Scientifically speaking, salt is a stable element. That means it can't lose its saltiness. So what's Jesus talking about here? Well, he's not giving us a science lesson. He's, He's given us a spiritual illustration about how salt preserves the life of a disciple. The Jews had a saying. They said that the world cannot survive without salt. And that proverb really is a vivid reminder that salt was used as a preservative in the ancient world, but Jesus being the master storyteller here, he's using it as a spiritual illustration for us. So in other words, if we're salty, if we're going to push back on the world, if we're going to cut this stuff off, if we're going to cut it out, if we're going to stop doing what we've always done, people will know that. They will know that we're different. Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So in other words, disciples who lose their gospel saltiness, they are no longer effective witnesses for Jesus. They are useless to the kingdom of God. And dear friends, that's where we have to have a serious conversation and really consider whether or not we are saved. So what do we do with this message that Jesus gave his disciples? This this whole thing was to the 12. I mean, these are the demands of discipleship this morning. So are Jesus' demands, are they too demanding? Do the words of Jesus offend you? Does it turn you off? I mean, Jesus' words are offensive. Jesus does not mince words. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He always gets to the heart of the matter because the heart is always the matter. Have you ever thought about why? Why is Jesus so demanding? Why is he so narrow? 
Next week is, is Palm Sunday. The following week is Easter. And if you have these, these kinds of spiritual questions, I, I want to invite you to come back for the next couple of weeks because what's going to happen is inside the gospel message of what happened in Palm Sunday and Easter, God reveals these answers to you slowly over time. There is a reason why Jesus had to die the most horrific death a man has ever experienced. There's a reason he had to be buried. There's a reason that he walked out three days later and was resurrected. Now, let me ask you this. After reading this text, you know the gospel story. Do you think it's a coincidence that Jesus was pierced through his hands and through his feet? Do you think there's any coincidences in the kingdom of God? (laughs) No. Jesus was pierced through his hands and his feet because of the sins that you have committed with your hands and with your feet. Those sins had to be paid for. And Jesus willingly paid for your sins on the cross. Is it a coincidence that Jesus wore a crown of thorns on his head? Not at all. Jesus was slapped. Jesus had his beard ripped out of his face. And the Roman soldiers, they didn't just place a crown of thorns on Jesus' face. They beat it into his skull. And blood flowed from his skull into his eyes. Why? Because the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes had to be paid for. And Jesus willingly paid for your sins on that cross. And and the whole reason Jesus talks about hell so much is that he wants us to know that he is the one that saved you from that place. He's the only one who could. He's the only one that did. And the world stands around and goes, hmm, thanks, but no thanks, Jesus. The world stands around and says, yeah, you know, I, I don't believe in a hell. I don't think that a loving God would send people to hell. So the question before us is, all right, well, have you ever really truly thought where you're going to be 100 years from now? See, we live in a land of spiritual complacency. And unfortunately, many Christians make matters worse because they emphasize God's love and patience. God loves you and he loves you and he, he loves you. And instead of leading people to repentance as Jesus does, We emphasize God's love. Obviously, we want to do that, but we can't overemphasize one of God's attributes in favor of another because what that does is it starts to breed a false sense of security because we think to ourselves, well, you know what? I'm good. I committed that sin 20, 30, 40 years ago. I'm still here. As Christians, we're... We're all addicted to God's grace. And it's scripture passages like today to where you just can't ignore it. And that's why we preach and why we teach here at River verse by verse. Because God, well, because we want you to know all the characteristics that God has revealed about himself. Not just his love, not just his patience, not just his goodness and his holiness. And our prayer is that as we go through the Gospels verse by verse, that you will experience him day by day. 
Many Christians are surprised to learn that no one in the Bible talks more about hell than Jesus. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. And he wants you to do something with this passage today. Dear friends, he wants you to repent. He wants you to confess your sins. Because please know, hell is not the absence of God. God is in hell. And the people in hell, they are experiencing one specific aspect of God's attributes. And that attribute is his wrath against their sin. They are experiencing for the rest of eternity what Jesus experienced on that cross for you. And the reason that hell is eternal is because they will never completely pay for their their own sin. Their sin debt is never paid in full. They don't have the capacity to do that because only the blood of, of Jesus as the Son of God and the Son of Man has that ability. Now, as I wrap up, Jesus mentioned three specific body parts. He mentions the hand, our feet, and our eyes. Each body part emphasizes the battle that you have against sin. So in what ways do you sin with your hands? Are you touching things? Are you handling something that you have no business handling or touching? Jesus says, cut it off. Knock it out. Stop it. In what ways do you sin with your feet? Where are you going that you have no business walking or running into those establishments? Jesus says, cut it off, knock it out, stop it. In what ways do you sin with your eyes? What are you consuming with your eyes that no one else knows about? Jesus says, knock it off, cut it out, stop it. The biggest takeaway for today, guys, is this. Jesus calls for, he demands a radical spiritual severing of sin from your life. Jesus calls for, he demands a radical spiritual severing of sin from your life. And you don't need years of Christian counseling to do this. Jesus says over and over, stop it. You can make the decision. The Holy Spirit of Almighty God will give you the strength to do that. Now, look, I know this is a tough text, and I'm not trying to guilt you, and I'm not trying to get an emotional response uh, from you in any way. My prayer is that you will examine your life this week. You will look at your habits, and you will seek the Lord's face, and you will allow him to save you and change you over time. I'm done. I told you at the beginning, I gave the disclaimer. I pray, I pray, dear friends, that you don't waste this message. Father in heaven, your demands of discipleship are weighty. And Lord, we want to thank you It's like this morning, it's like you took us by the shirt collar and you grabbed us and you looked us right in the eyes and you said, stop it. You need to stop it.
repent. Thank you for this message. And for those of us who have no idea what this means, Lord God, please allow us uh, the strength and the courage to ask. Dear friends, we have a, a prayer room through the foyer to the right. It would be an honor to pray for you and to answer any questions that you may have. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.